0: I'd like to reserve six minutes for rebuttal, if I may. Sure, yeah. May it please the court. My name is Brian Trulock. It has been my privilege to represent Agnes Scott College in the litigation that is before the court today. This court's February 2nd, 2015 order, which remanded this case to to trial court, reiterated the longstanding rule governing vicarious liability of private employers for torts arising from the public from the execution of public functions by their employed police officers. It said when this court sent it to the trial court, when the complaint's allegations are construed in the light most favorable to Hartley, the plaintiff in this case, Agnes Scott College has not established that Hartley could not possibly present evidence that the campus policemen were acting under the direction of Agnes Scott College at the time of their allegedly tortious conduct. In other words, for the plaintiff to hold Agnes Scott vicariously liable for the actions of its employed police officer in this case, Lieutenant Antinozzi, she had to be able to present evidence at trial that Lieutenant Antonozzi, when he was engaged in his criminal investigation, which resulted in the warrants for Ms. Hartley's arrest, that he was acting under the direction of Agnes Scott College, that they somehow directed or controlled his criminal investigation and substituted their judgment for his training and experience when he was engaged in the criminal investigation. Well, let me
1: uh, you're sort of invoking, as the law, the case rule in in that argument. Yes. as I understand the posture of the case, um, the question before before this court at that point was whether in light of the Supreme Court's preceding decision, your client, the college, was entitled to judgment as a matter of law on vicarious liability. There's no question pointing the, in the opposite direction, no, no argument that the plaintiff was entitled to summary judgment on that point. And, so it was sent back down for consideration of that. And there's law about what vicarious liability of an employer for employees' conduct is. It seems to me stretching, and this is where you're saying something to push back on, seems to me that you're stretching the law of the case too far to read into what's written there, a suggestion that we're implying A different rule regarding vicarious liability than would otherwise
0: obtain. So, it it is a different rule when you're discussing an employed police officer and right. I mean,
1: mean, mean, we have that issue, but but you're and I know we'll get to that in just a second. But it seems to me that taking that fairly general language and suggesting that that changes the law of employer employee of an employer's vicarious liability for an employee. I I am highly skeptical of that argument.
0: So, Judge, when when this court issued that opinion, that opinion is not written in a vacuum. It said you have to present evidence that Agnes Scott College was acting, or that Lieutenant Anzanozzi was acting under the direction of Agnes Scott College at the time of his alleged forces of conduct because the law of this state since 1914 in the Pounds decision, which is a Georgia Supreme Court decision cited in our brief, has treated employed police officers differently than typical employees. Can I,
2: let, let me let me go right there if I can. Any of these cases, and I'm certainly aware, we're all aware of all of these cases that deal with, typically their their bar situations where police officers are hired and they remove somebody and, you know, or, and, and or make an arrest and, and the bar gets sued or the restaurant or whatever. In, in any of those cases, if there's any way to know, were we dealing with police officers that worked uh, for a private entity in their policing job as opposed to a public entity where they would already have immunity under the Georgia Law uh, for their public policing functions? Because, I mean, you know what happened in this case originally. Uh, So this is my reversal day, uh, you know, because I got reversed in this case as well, Um, and the Supreme Court said you don't have immunity under the Georgia statute when you're a police officer working for a private college because that's not a state institution. So I wonder if it's a difference. I wonder if these cases that are out there are different because the police officers were police officers for municipalities and counties and maybe for the state as opposed to a municipality uh, or a police officer for a private college?
0: So to answer your question, Judge, you're, you're right. This case is unique. The cases that we've cited in our brief deal with police officers that are uh, employed by other uh, city public agencies, the city, county, sheriff's department, um, and, and that is true. That is a, a difference in this case. But the fact that Lieutenant Antonosi in this case was full-time employed by Agnes Scott doesn't make a difference. The Pounds v. Central Georgia case doesn't make a distinct, does not make a distinction uh, around the fact that the police officer was employed by the railroad in that case. In that case, the uh, the police officer was appointed by the city of Savannah, but employed full time by the railroad. And it focuses not on-
3: Isn't that the key difference though? I mean, you said, well, employed by the city of Savannah, but the, I
0: know
3: that's 1914, but in this case, the statutory language is pretty clear. About working for a political subdivision or a municipality, um, why is it different?
0: Well, it's different because the Pounds case focuses on what the police officer is doing. In other words, he it specifically recognizes that police officers working for a for, for a private entity may. Uh, have a dual purpose they may have duties that they perform for their imp- private employer and they have functions that they perform on behalf of the state so,
2: but, so you know, let's go back let's go back to Hartley one that was the whole basis that that opinion came out was that from the court of appeals was is that the police officer at Agnes Scott was enforcing Georgia law as he thought it should be enforced and the Supreme Court said well but yeah he was not doing it for the state uh, you know i you know, I argued that that exact same point in that opinion, and the Supreme Court didn't care about that. So, you know, that's why I wonder if it's different because, yes, he's enforcing the law, but he's not doing it for the state. That's what the Supreme Court basically said.
0: And, and Judge, I think this is an important distinction. The Supreme Court said that he was not acting on behalf of a specific state entity. Yes. So that's the distinction where it took Agnes Scott, according to—I'm sorry, it took the police officers— out of the protections of the Georgia Tort Claims Act because there was no evidence that the police officers were acting on behalf of a state entity. But, but that was just, just on the state. But that doesn't mean they're not acting on behalf of the state. Okay, but, but look, I'm with you. But that's not,
2: but the Supreme, but look, the state is the ultimate entity, right? I mean, it is every city and county comes from the state of Georgia. I mean, we charter them, or the state General Assembly charters every county and state. If they don't do it, there's not one. So I just don't know how we draw that distinction uh, in light of, of the decision in Hartley 2.
0: Well, and, and again, Judge, I think it's because the, the Supreme Court was focused specifically on whether uh, there was immunity under the Georgia Tor Claims Act. And it found there could not be immunity under the Georgia Tor Claims Act because in order to have that immunity, you have to be acting on behalf of a state entity. That is different from are you acting on behalf of the state. And, and when you're talking about traditional principles of premises liability, Employers can be liable for the actions of their employees when they're acting in the course and scope of their employment and in furtherance okay, so, of their master's Okay, business.
2: so let, let me take you. A note. Let me give you another hypo that I think would be more apt. And, uh, a city of Atlanta police officer is not in the city of Atlanta. You would agree if if he or she sees a crime that's committed in Fulton County that as a post certified person they still have an op- they still have an obligation to respond to that, right? Yes. Okay. So when they make that arrest in Fulton County, or they stop the alleged criminal in Fulton County, they're not doing it on behalf of the city of Atlanta that hired them. I I would assume they're doing it on behalf of the state law that they're in charge of of enforcing. I would agree Uh, with that, yes. Um, So then how do they have immunity because they're working with the city of Atlanta when they're not really working for the city of Atlanta when they hire when they make that arrest in Fulton County and and judge
0: I don't know that they would have immunity under the Georgia Tort Claims Act they may have immunity under the state constitution which provides some other issues of qualified immunity but but the difference here is that when you are talking about vicarious liability and, and the reason that police officers are treated differently is because traditional vicarious liability you're acting in the course and scope of your employment and in furtherance of your master's business. Police officers are different. When you're talking about Lieutenant Antinozzi conducting a criminal investigation into an allegation of sexual assault, he may be acting in the course and scope of his employment with Agnes Scott because he's hired as a post-certified police officer. But when he's conducting a criminal investigation, he's not acting on, he's not acting in furtherance of Agnes Scott's business. Instead, he's acting in furtherance of the state's business because Agnes Scott's Function is not to engage in law enforcement. Its function and its mission well, is the education of women not the, law the, enforcement. Well, you don't
2: have to convince me about why immunity ought to be there You don't have to convince me that the statute ought to give it to them because I that's what I thought But would you at least recognize that there's at least some tension in your argument and what Agnew Scott too said? I mean that I mean you would have to. You would agree that for us to rule the way you want us to rule, we're having to parse what the Supreme Court said, right?
0: I, I disagree, Judge. I, I think I think that a ruling that uh, that Lieutenant Antonosi or that Agnes Scott is not vicariously liable for the public execution, of Lieutenant Antonosi's duties, is in no way inconsistent with the, with what the Georgia Supreme Court said. All the Georgia Supreme Court says was he wasn't acting on behalf of a specifically identifiable state entity. That's true. I can't identify a state entity, and that's why there's no immunity under the Georgia Tort Claims Act. We're not talking who, about who immunity.
2: was he? Who was he acting on behalf of? Them?
0: He, he was acting. He was acting on behalf of the state when he's in, when he's engaged in law enforcement. But there's no identifiable state entity. That that's the purpose of the Georgia. Who court could claims
3: ever Act. be liable? Uh, let I mean, what other entity besides? he himself personally, then, could, could, would a college ever be liable under your argument? I guess the answer is no, they would never be
0: liable. But that's not true. So if the plaintiff can present evidence that Agnes Scott somehow directed, controlled, or otherwise interfered with his criminal investigation, substituted its judgment for his training and experience, then yes, there's potential vicarious liability there. Well, the pro- the-
1: um, you know, of course, the evidence here is that he was Maybe he should have reported, but he didn't. And, and
0: that's right, Judge. But reporting is different than right. Agnes Scott coming in on the front end and telling. Right, how and and usurping
1: got. the role of the officer, which I think is some of the language. Justice Namias' decision in, in Partly Two uses the phrase "mere licensure," and, and it, it seems to me that that phrase kind of cap, captures the difference between the way the Supreme Court saw it and the way we saw it in Partly One. And I suppose, uh, it seems to me, and I invite you to show me I'm wrong, um, that what you're asking us to do is is kind of turn our backs on the on the analysis in in Hartley two, and just pretend none of it is there, and reaffirm our analysis in Hartley one for this distinct issue.
0: I, I think, again, Judge, I, I respectfully disagree. I don't think that you are turning your back on the Georgia Supreme Court's analysis at all. All the Georgia Supreme Court said was that there's no immunity under the Georgia Tort Claims Act because there's not- Yeah, I
1: mean, you're talking about the narrow, the narrow holding is distinguishable, but, but it seems to me that the analysis is your problem. Go ahead. And,
0: and again, I, I, I don't think that's true because they reached the analysis that there's no, you're not acting on behalf of a state entity, that doesn't mean that Agnew, that Lieutenant Antonosi's not acting on behalf of the state when he when he's enforcing state law. And if he's executing a public function, then there's no vicarious liability. And and I'm not here arguing that this is an immunity issue for Agnes Scott. This is a vicarious liability issue. Right. And 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 the Georgia Supreme Court uh, was not didn't take up the issue of vicarious liability. It didn't review the issue of vicarious liability in its opinion. All it was reviewing was whether there was immunity under the Georgia Tort Claims Act. And It's our position that because there was no evidence at trial that Agnes Scott directed or controlled Lieutenant Agenos' conduct, the denial of our motion for judgment notwithstanding mistrial was in error. And if I may, I'd like to reserve.
1: I'll give you another minute, because I want to ask you another. I'd like you to address their argument that the statute relating to, I believe the the gender specific languages in the statute, um, campus policeman, is different from the law relating to uh, police officers of the Georgia University system and and other uh, law enforcement officers uh, who are employed by the state or its subdivisions who are working part-time the statutory distinction about campus policemen uh, talk about that argument please
0: so I'm not sure I quite understand your question judge I, I are you talking about in terms of vicarious liability I mean how, how well, campus, that's the
1: issue here right
0: it, it is but but specifically with campus policemen I, I I'm not sure I quite understand your question, and I, and I apologize. Can you?
1: Um, not in the available time. Uh, I, th- I suspect you'll hear in a minute. Okay. I,
0: <laughs> okay. Thank you, Judge. And if I may, I'd like to reserve the. Yeah.
1: Uh, my give, time for give him uh, two minutes for rebuttal, and so you have an extra minute and a half, sir.
4: Good morning, Your Honor. May it please the court. Uh, my name is Lloyd Bell. I'm here on behalf of Amanda Hartley, the appellate in this case. Uh, all the questions have been spot on and we briefed these in our in our briefing. <clears throat> Justice McFadden you made the uh, point that we made in our in our briefing that there is a clear distinction between the status of these of the different types of individuals who are engaged in the tortious conduct. Specifically, um, these words mean something. This is a the statute defines what a campus policeman is. Campus policeman means an employee of an educational facility whose duties include the enforcement of the laws of the state, preservation of public order, protection of life and property, prevention, detection, investigation of crime, or any combination. The authority of the campus policeman comes under uh, 20-8-2, It says, on the campus of an educational facility, a campus policeman who is post-certified and when authorized by the governing body or authority of such educational facility shall have the same law enforcement powers, including the power of arrest, uh, as a law enforcement officer of the local government with police jurisdiction. So our legislature has set apart a separate category of a public safety officer. They call them campus policemen. Campus policemen, Derive their authority from their employer. So Agnes Scott in this case, they have complete authority whether they give some law enforcement powers to Lieutenant Antonosi or withhold those powers from Lieutenant Antonosi. And that
3: would be different, wouldn't it, from, I mean, if if you work for the city of Savannah full-time and the Waffle House hires you, your law enforcement authorities do not emanate from the Waffle House, they emanate from the city of Savannah, correct?
4: That's correct, Your Honor, because when when uh, you're you're sworn in by the city of Savannah, you take an oath. You take an oath to support and defend the Constitution and enforce the laws of the state in a fair, uh, equitable manner. And here,
3: you don't get arrest powers unless the educational institution says you're authorized to have the arrest powers.
4: That's absolutely correct. And the the only condition is that the officer has to be post-certified, which is, Justice McFadden pointed out in the Supreme Court opinion, is regarded as mere licensure. I mean, the state of Georgia licenses 45, I believe, different professions, including barbers and, uh, and massage therapists. And the court made the point that that does not confer state immunity just by mere licensure. So all the cases, every single case cited by, the, by uh, Agnes Scott, are these dual capacity cases where you have a police officer, city, city of Savannah police officer in pounds, uh, or a off-duty sheriff's deputy that is also working for a private employer. And the question always arises that when the tortious act is committed, is the employer, is the officer acting as a public agent, in which there would be immunity under the Constitution the Tort Claims Act, or is the officer acting at the direction of the private employer? And that's where the analysis becomes very fact-specific um, as to what their role is. There's no confusion in this case. There's no dual capacity with Lieutenant Antonosi. He works exclusively for Agnes Scott College. He was working for Agnes Scott College during all the tortious conduct that's an issue in this case. And Agnes Scott College doesn't have to be standing over his shoulder. I mean, we have the many Agnes Scott College officials here. They, they don't have to be standing next to him and directing his conduct for there to be vicarious liability. The uh, Callahan case cited in our brief talks about the long line of vicarious liability cases that say. An employer is, is vicariously liable for the negligent acts of its employee, even if the employer doesn't know about them, and even if the employer has specifically forbade the conduct at issue, as long as the employee is acting within the course and scope of his employment.
2: Uh, but with the analysis, just a, a hypo that we were discussing before we came out, would the hypo be different if the CAP County had also deputized? Police officers on Agnes Scott and make them county officers as
4: well. I think it would be, Your Honor, because I think in that case you're dealing with a dual capacity situation, and the Supreme Court even left open a possibility that in some contexts a police op- a campus policeman may uh, be regarded as law enforcement in some contexts. Now the Supreme Court didn't define what those contexts were, but I think the example that you offered is is, is a likely one. If Lieutenant Antonosi was moonlighting. As a uh, as a sheriff's deputy, uh, or and had been taken his public oath, and could work in that capacity, that we might be dealing with the same situation in pounds or ambling or these other other dual capacity cases. But he did. We, we keep hearing Lieutenant he referred to as a police officer. Um, police officer is very specifically defined in the statute under 3542. Police officer means any law enforcement officer charged with the duty of enforcing the criminal laws and ordinances of the state or the counties or municipalities of the state who is employed by and compensated by the state or any county or municipality of the state or who is elected and compensated on a fee basis uh, that is not our situation lieutenant Antonosi is not a police officer as defined by georgia statute he is a campus Policeman, whose activities, duties, responsibilities are completely controlled by Agnes Scott, his where, employer.
2: Where, where would the UGA or Georgia Tech police fit in that definition?
4: Well, UGA is a state is a state school, and there are distinctions that are. But it's
2: the, not a county or a municipality of the state. I mean, if you're going to limit it just to those words, it's not those things.
4: Well, it's a government, but it is a branch of the government. Uh,
2: the but universe- I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's not it's not what you're showing us right here. I mean, I I, I think I clearly agree that. That they're entitled to immunity and under the Tort Claims Act, but I just I'm just pointing out that it's not that definition.
4: Well, we have another definition okay. that might be helpful, Your Honor. Law enforcement officers. defined, I believe this definition would encompass the UGA uh, okay. public safety officers. Uh, in this code, this is uh, 3517. A law enforcement officer shall not be liable at law for any action or actions done while performing their duties in emergency, except for gross negligence, etc. It says, as used in this code section, the term law enforcement officer means any peace officer who is employed by the state or any political subdivision thereof, who is required by the terms of his employment, whether by election or appointment, to give his full time to the preservation of public order or the protection of life and property. So I think under law enforcement uh, officer, the the campus police for the the state of Georgia schools would would apply. Isn't there
1: a separate separate statute for campus police officers in the Georgia University system?
4: There is, Ron. There is. And that that wouldn't apply here. It's undisputed that Lieutenant Antonosi was a campus policeman. The legislature has not updated the gender, so it is specific to campus policemen. Um, And it's undisputed that he was one of them. He was a campus policeman whose whose responsibilities were all defined uh, by the employer, in this case, Agnes Scott. So, the bottom line point here is that we're talking about a private school, a private corporation, that employs a full-time campus policeman who has enhanced powers because he has post-certification, as determined by the employer. And it's, it's, it's not a complicated analysis as presented by Agnes Scott. He is not a policeman. He's not law enforcement. He is a campus policeman who has limited scope of activities.
2: So under the, under the appellant's argument, a, a private college could never be responsible for a police officer who makes a bad arrest as long as they didn't direct him in any way uh, to do that. Isn't that right?
4: That's exactly right, Your Honor. And I think the Supreme Court and Justice Namias uh, sort of expressed that view in the context of the Tort Claims Act analysis is that there is no accountability. And the reason that the uh, legislature grants immunity to public officers is there's accountability. There's accountability through the ballot box, through uh, public forum. You have a private corporation who's choosing which employees they're going to hire and also deciding which powers they're going to confer on that employee. To say, we're not going to be responsible if they abuse those powers.
2: Cuts off accountability. In fact, I, I think arguably under those those police officer and private setting cases, you might not even be able to hold them responsible if they hire the rogue police officer who hasn't lost the certifications that's been fired by every other municipality for being a bad police officer.
4: I think that's the logical extension of, of, of Agnes Scott's argument. I mean, it's a really straightforward case. A private company hired uh, a, a public safety officer, decided to confer powers on this public safety officer, and he abused those powers, and and of course Amanda Hartley was on the receiving end of his abuse. And under their analysis and their sort of loose language throwing around, police officer and, and sort of pretending that Lieutenant Antonosi is a is a government actor, um, it would it would it would cut off any line of accountability, as you pointed out, Justice Ray.
1: he, never uh, t- he, he would never have taken an oath of office. You know, the process of being post-certified doesn't entail the oath to make you a sworn officer, that is something you take to, to the state or a subdivision, right?
4: Po- yes, sir. Post-certification is uh, if it, 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 you go through a course and you establish or you, or you uh, show that you are qualified, minimally qualified, to be a law enforcement officer or a police officer. So once you complete the post-certification, yeah, they teach you search and seizure. They teach you the, the basics of being a police officer. So that is something that you can take and apply for a job with the uh, county uh, sheriff's department or, or
3: municipal. It means or nothing department. by itself. It it it's a license you take with you to go get employed. Right? I mean, That's you exactly. get no arrest powers from the certification. You get your certification card. You're qualified to then go take the oath with.
4: That's exactly right, Your Honor.
3: I mean, it's um, we all as attorneys, we're all
4: licensed to practice, but we're not conferred state. Uh, Immunity by that licensure, and/or or a barber or a massage therapist, or any of the other folks who come under the, uh, the, the licensing requirements of the state. So, um, so post-certification does not turn him into a state actor. Um, Agnes Scott's counsel uh, made the point, or, or said that this is really isn't a constitutional immunity case. Well, it's kind of a stealth constitutional immunity case because what essentially they're arguing is that. And Lieutenant Antonos is a police officer, law enforcement officer. Well, that carries with it the constitutional uh, protections under Article I, Section Two of the Constitution. And I just want to point this out quickly to show why it doesn't apply. Um, the first paragraph deals with when their uh, officers and employees of the state may be subject to suit if they don't perform their ministerial task or they're grossly negligent subparagraph, though, is the operative It says, except as provided in this paragraph, officers and employees of the state or its departments and agencies shall not be subject to suit or liability and no judgment entered against them. So officers and employees of the state or its department and agencies. Uh, clearly, Lieutenant Office- Antonosi Lieutenant is not an officer or employee of the state. Uh, the initial position of Agnes Scott was that the Tort Claims Act conferred Uh, conferred immunity, and uh, uh, Justice Namias said that he tended to agree that the definition section of the Tort Claims Act would seem to suggest that there might be immunity. But uh, he reasoned, the Supreme Court reasoned, that if you take the entire statutory scheme together, that it did not work and did not apply under these fact situations. Uh, Justice Nami has chose not to address the constitutional immunity argument because it wasn't uh, raised by the parties at that time. But in this case, it is being raised because in this case, uh, by claiming Lieutenant Antonosi is a peace officer or a policeman with, uh, with, with the meaning that those words carry, that that would allow them immunity. And the only way that the school can be responsible, their argument is, is that the school would have to specifically direct their conduct. That analysis is just flawed. It just—it just doesn't. It's not supported by the facts. It's not supported by the by the statutes. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and conclude, subject to any questions. Um, our, it's our view, uh, clear view, that Justice Panis, the trial court, uh, was absolutely correct in denying their motion for directed verdict. Notwithstanding this trial, uh, it's our view that this, this 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 cobbled together argument that vicarious liability in this case is completely different than every other case and shouldn't apply, uh, we believe is fatal flawed. We would ask this court to affirm the lower court's order denying their motion for adjustment of standard birth. Thank you.
1: All right. Ms. Bennett, could you set that for two minutes? Whatever. Yeah, that'd be fine. You uh, that we'll just watching.
0: watch. <laughs> right. So if I may I address one point, the Mr. Bell talks a lot about the employment. Who was he employed by? It's full-time, Lieutenant Antonozzi was full-time employed by Agnes Scott. But this full-time, part-time distinction, whether Lieutenant Antonozzi was uh, employed by another state entity or not, doesn't make a difference. If you look at the, pound, and there's, there's two reasons for that. One, the Pounds case makes no distinction. The, the police officer in that case was appointed by the city of Savannah, but was employed full-time by the railroad in that case. and. The Georgia so Supreme Court
2: was employed full time. Tell, tell me, what do you mean? It, he, he, he was did, a full, He was full time employee of the railroad. But he didn't. So he didn't work for the police anymore.
0: He was appointed by the city of Savannah. Okay. Worked full time for the railroad. So, so his police. Before? So his police powers came from the city of Savannah. Yeah. Worked full time yeah. for the railroad. And and the second issue uh, is that this. This is not a principle that is unique to police officers. In the uh, Anthony v. American General Financial Services case, which is cited in our brief, talks about notaries. And the important, the focus is on what is the employee doing. Are they acting in furtherance of the master's business? So police officer, if, if he's acting in furtherance of the state's business, there's no and there's no vicarious liability.
2: So tell tell me about the notary case,
0: yeah. Yeah, so that case involves a notary, and the question was, can a corporation be vicariously liable for the actions of a notary when that notary violates a notary statute and the case dealt with whether notaries were charging too much in violation of the the notary statute? And the Georgia Supreme Court in that case said corporation can't be vicariously liable for the violations of the notary because the notary was executing a public function. And when the notary is engaged in a public function, private corporation isn't going to be liable. So this is not a principle that's unique to police officers in this case. it's It applies to uh, notaries, it applies to police officers, and the focus is what is the employee doing? Are they engaged in a public function? If so, you have to have evidence of direction and control before there can be vicarious liability for the private employer. Thank you, Council. Thank you.
2: All right.